reaching into the present moment. The question, how do I experience eternal life, doesn't only mean, though it does, how can I live forever? It also means how can I taste and experience now the life to come? That's what they're talking about when they talk about eternal life. And that's a big part of of part two as he's sweeping these people up in his wake. That's a part of his mission. And then part three will begin in chapter 19. It's It's his last week. It's the week he spends in Jerusalem before he's murdered and crucified, resurrected. And so that's where we are. So this is the mission, right? This is what we're supposed to do. This is what we're talking about. How do we experience that? Well, before I read the text, I want to tell you about a figure of Greek legend. But you've all heard of this guy. I'm betting we've all heard this name. Um, <clears throat> he was the main character. I'm not going to say hero, but he was the main character in Homer's Iliad. His name was Achilles. Legend has it he was invincible because his mother, uh, when he was a baby, dipped him in the river Styx. The, the river supposedly is, lies between the world of the living and the world of the dead. And his mom dipped him in the river by holding him by the ankle and dipped him in the river. And then in the siege of Troy, right, Paris, there's a guy named Paris, um, that's where we get the name of the city, shoots an arrow, only place he can, right through his ankle, right? That's why, and, and, and he eventually would succumb to an infection which would kill him. That's why we call this the Achilles tendon. It's where it gets its name. It's also why we have this other phrase that we're probably all familiar with. That's my Achilles heel, right? Uh, we, we say, uh, you know, like if you're on diet or something, oh boy, donuts, that's my Achilles heel, right? We, we, we all have a different one maybe, depending on what we're trying to do or... You know, we have this thing that we we would say, that is my Achilles heel. But here's what I think. And we we do. We all have different ones. We're unique people. We have different types of weaknesses. When it comes to living the life of the kingdom, when it comes to experiencing the life we were created to live, I believe that we have one Achilles heel in common. Every human being, everybody here now, Everybody throughout the ages since Adam and Eve, all the way through the day Jesus returns, I think every single one of us has at least this one Achilles heel in common. And it is that we all pull the wool over our own eyes about the truth about ourselves. Amen? We make excuses. We, we, we debate, we, we, yeah, you know, but we, we do all of this. We want to justify ourselves, and I believe that keeps us from fully experiencing what we could experience. So I'm going to read this, and you'll see this text and why I think it's about that. I'm going to start chapter 10, verse 25 is where I'm going to start reading. It says, and behold, a lawyer, and so if you're flipping or tapping, I'm going to just pause, a lawyer. When we read the words lawyer in the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, when we read the words lawyer, I I need you to understand something. This is not a member of the bar. This is not a guy who defends people in criminal cases. He doesn't have a phone number. You call if you have mesothelioma. That is not what a lawyer is in New Testament world. He is an expert in the Old Testament law. 
He knows the Old Testament on one side, down the other. He knows exactly how you're supposed to behave and what you're supposed to. So that's, that's who he is. Okay, just understand that. So it says, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test. He's not there to learn. He's not there to ask sincere questions. He wants to test Jesus. You really know the law. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What, what do I have to do to experience the life I was made for? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? You're an expert. How do you read it? That's what he says. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That comes from the Shema Jim talked to us about a few weeks ago. And he said to him, Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Yep, do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. The lawyer wants to justify himself. He wants to be able to find a way to make sure that he fits, right? Desiring to justify himself. He said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And everybody's like, oh, that's a rough place. They know this, okay, just so you know. That's commonly known. That's a, it's a bad place to be. He fell among robbers, and everybody's like, yep, of course he did. What else would you expect to have when you're on that road, right? Um, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, we hear that, and we go, oh, mm. everybody who heard this said, well, of course he did, because he's half dead. And if he's half dead, maybe he's all the way dead, and the priest can't tell. And the last thing the priest needs to do is go defile himself, because that's in the Old Testament law. If the priest touches a dead body, he's basically out of work for a while. Like, he can't do, he's become unclean. He, he can't do what he's supposed to do. He can't perform his duties. So no one is shocked by this. They're like, of course he walked on by. Of course he did. That's the right thing to do, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, the priest walked by. So likewise, a Levite, when he came by, he passed on the other side. And everybody's like, of course, same, same rules apply to Levites. Yes, okay, yeah, makes sense. No one is shocked. But a Samaritan, which in their day, for some of us, that's like saying a, an alt-left-wing socialist, right? And for others of us, that's, that might be saying like, you know, a far-right-winger, right? Whoever you think of as the other that you really cannot associate with, that's the Samaritan. But a Samaritan, everybody's like, <gasps> all of a sudden they're shocked. What do they got to do with it? As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which is a soothing and disinfectant. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is going to cover approximately a month's stay at the inn in that economy. Gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Let me pray. Lord, help us to uh, understand this, to be challenged by it, and to be different because of your spirit 
transforming us. It's in your name. Amen. Now, see this text. I'm not going to belabor this, but a lot of times we read that, right? And we think that this is all about being like the Good Samaritan. And actually, it's not at all. Jesus told the story to a guy who wanted to justify himself to show him that you can't. And at the end of the story, he can't even acknowledge the Samaritan. He can't say, oh, it was the Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him mercy. I can just see the guy kind of with his head, he's a little crestfallen, right? A little bit like, yeah, the one who showed him mercy. He just doesn't have much to say. I think it's good for us to think about, see, what he wanted to do when the story begins, this guy's got a few people that he loves, right? They're maybe his neighbors, maybe his literal neighbors, I don't know, maybe his cousin across town. He's got people, like we all do, that we care about, that we take care of, that we love. And he's got people, frankly, like we all do, who, who we just struggle with. And so he wants to make sure that he fits, right? He's got a checklist, and it's like, well, um, can I at least put a little half a check, right? I, I, need, I need to make sure I fit, so who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story, which makes him go, oh, right? How do we, I think it's good for us to wrestle with the ways that we do this, the ways that we justify ourselves, that we try to say, yes, yeah, see, I can fit if I do this the ways we pull our, the wool over our own eyes. I, I think if I were translating this, I would probably have said, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, yeah, but. Because that's what I say when I justify myself. Yeah, but. Got some yeah, butters? All right. <laughs> we do that. Yeah, you, but you don't get it. Yeah, but, right? The, I mean, I think about a good example that popped up in, as I was looking for stuff this week. Was, somebody was talking about, you know, getting an iPad. New iPad. Um, I know I could, it's about 500 bucks. I know I could do more with that money. I know I could feed people with that money. I know I could give that money to the church. I know I could, I could put that money in savings. Yeah, but, I, you know, I, I, mine's old. It, I, I got a scratch on it. It's just driving me bonkers, right? And, and, and I'm not saying there's something wrong with getting a new iPad. If there, there comes a time, where, what, that's fine, right? Another one we might do, we do this with a big word here, boundaries. Um, now, some of us probably, and this is the challenging part about living in community and wrestling and the, in the mixture of things that there's no solid answers, because here's the reality. Some of us here need to have more boundaries. We need to say no more often, right? Uh, I know I need to be with my family more. Yeah, but these 12 people over there need me, right? Others of us, maybe we need to have less boundaries, right? Uh, I know I have to have some time to be healthy. Yeah, but, you know, we, we do that. So, we're all different people. Some of us need to say no more often. Some of us probably need to say yes more often. I can't answer that for you. I can't tell you which you are. You'll probably know. I trust the Spirit to work. But we do this. Now, I was thinking about this. What is it that makes us do that? We justify everything. We're constantly saying, yeah, but. Right? 
And I found this article, this actually a book um, by a couple of psychologists. Uh, the book's called Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. <laughs> Great title, right? <laughs> this, is, this is what they say about the way and the reason that we justify ourselves. This quote, the engine that drives self-justification, the energy that produces the need to justify our actions and decisions, especially the wrong ones, of course, is an unpleasant feeling called cognitive dissonance. Hang on, they explain that. Cognitive dissonance is a state of tension that occurs when a person holds two cognitions or attitudes, beliefs, ideas, you know, these two ideas, right, that are psychologically inconsistent. Here's an example. They give this example. Smoking is a dumb thing to do because it could kill me. It's one idea. On the other side, I smoke two packs a day, right? That, that's a fact. We hold these two things. They're inconsistent. So we've got to find a way to ease it. It says dissonance produces mental discomfort ranging from minor pangs to deep anguish. It says people don't rest easy until they find a way to reduce it. We gotta, we gotta soften that tension because that's too hard to hold those two ideas in our head. So I thought about this and I was like, okay. So we talked about this idea last week, right? That, that we're, we're, we're supposed to live out a role in this story. We've got this story, creation, good creation, very good, it's joy, you know, all the, the things that we're made to live, it's all there. Um, the fall happens. Jesus restores, God restores throughout the ages, bringing us, here we live right between sort of the third, fourth panel over here, where Jesus has already made us what we can be, like he's called us to be this, he's empowered us, and he's coming back to fully give us the life of the kingdom, and the, the, the call on the Christian life is live in a way that's coherent with that story, live in a way that, that looks like, oh yeah, you believe Jesus has rescued you. Oh yeah, you believe Jesus is going to finish the job. Live consistent with that. That's what we're called to do. Now, the fact is, when we sin, that's the word for when we flub our lines, we don't look like it when the person watching is like, what? Right? That, that doesn't make sense at all. Right? When we sin, when we struggle, we do, do what we're not supposed to do, we shouldn't do, or we don't do what we ought. We have all these things, and we all know. I don't, I, I don't think I need to convince any of us that, that, that there's times that we blow it royally. And if I do, come see me, and I'll, you know, hold a mirror. <laughs> You'll be like, oh, that's me. Yes, it's you. We're all going to mess up. And here's the thing. When we do, we justify. Often. Well, yeah, but. Because there's dissonance, and here it is. I messed up. Whether you're able to admit it or not, you know, right? You might not tell people out loud, I smoke two packs a day, but you know, right? So I messed up on the one side, and on the other side, I'm a good person. That's, the, that's, that's why we justify, yeah, but. We say, yeah, but, because we want to be able to hold intention, I'm a good person. It's not my fault, ultimately, Right? Because I'm a good person. What if the way to ease the dissonance, the way to make it easier to stomach, is to, to kind of drop the I'm a good person. Let it go. And instead maybe replace it with, 
I am a person deeply in need of grace. And that might help us to, to, to live. There's no more tension, right? I messed up, yes, and. <laughs> I am a person deeply in need of grace. See, the gospel doesn't require us to come to Jesus with our checklist. That's what the lawyer's trying to do, right? He's coming to Jesus, got his pencil, okay, okay, yep. Who's my neighbor? Because he wants to get that box. If he can't fully check it, he's got to at least get a little dot, a little half mark, maybe something to say, I'm kind of doing it, right? He wants to be able to, and, and, and we so often want to come to Jesus with that checklist that allows us to hold up, put a pillar underneath, support this, this faulty proposition that I'm a good person. Jesus says, instead, come to me and say, I'm a person deeply in need of grace. Somehow it becomes easier, doesn't it, to live. That's what an encounter with Jesus often does. It's really what we see in this story is a, is a, a bit of self-awareness on the part of the, the lawyer, even if he doesn't go all the way. I don't think, it's, I'm not going to sit here and say, I think the lawyer comes and says, yes, I'm a person fully, deeply in need of grace. Help me. No, I don't, I don't think he does that, but I think he does kind of have to acknowledge he's not as good as he had hoped he was. You know, the one who showed him mercy. There's sort of, I, I, can, I think there's a little bit of resentment on his part in having to answer that way. There's other people, there's other, this is a common way that things happen when people encounter Jesus. Um, there's a story later on in Luke, the rich young rulers is, is, is what he's called, and he, he goes to Jesus, same question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I want to experience this life of the kingdom, I want to live with meaning and purpose and fulfillment. How do I do that? And pulls out the checklist. I've done all of this, right? So that's the way the conversation goes. And Jesus says, great. <laughs> Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And it says he goes away sad because he knows he just can't do it. When maybe to go all the way, he could have fallen on his face and said, I am a person deeply in need of grace. I believe. Help my unbelief. This is what often happens when people encounter Jesus. But the fact is, sometimes we're just stubborn. <laughs> um, there's a story. It's kind of tragic and yet a little bit odd at the same time. Some of you are old enough to remember the Heaven's Gate cult. Um, that I can't remember. It hasn't been that long, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I, I, but but they, that they, they had this belief. This is what they believed. They believed there was a spaceship in the wake of a comet. It was the Hale-Bopp Comet. Don't go crazy. I think it was H-A-E-L or E-A-L. Hale-Bopp Comet was the name of this comet. And there was a spaceship in the wake of it that was coming to take them to heaven. The spaceship was. And you'll probably, if you remember this, you'll remember that I think there were 39 of them that on the same day, you know, when this comet came closest to Earth, they all took their lives, tragically, and because they believed that was their way to get on the spaceship. It was a horrible, horrible story. What's a little odd is that two, two or three weeks before that tragic night, a group of them, three or four members of that cult, 
went and bought a high-powered telescope. True story. They went and bought this high-powered telescope, and they set it up, and they looked at the comet because they wanted to see a spaceship. And when they didn't see the spaceship, they took the telescope back, and they said it's obviously defective. Like, what, what, couldn't you see the comet? No, we saw the comet perfectly, but we couldn't see the spaceship. So obviously, the telescope doesn't work. Now, we, we hear that, right? We kind of chuckle and we laugh. That's, that's a little crazy, right, to not believe. And yet, the fact is, we all do that. We get angry, we yell at somebody we love. Well, they made me do it. They didn't make you yell. They may have blown it, but they did not make you yell, right? We, encounter, we engage in all these behaviors. Well, yeah, but you don't understand. No, no, you're a sinner. <laughs> you're not a good person. You're a person deeply in need of grace. And sometimes I think if we can tear that down and believe that we can come to Jesus and say, I am a person deeply in need of grace, it can suddenly change our experience of life and the way we taste the life we were created for, maybe even whether or not we do. So then, how do we live? Okay, so we've got this reality. This story is not telling us, go be the Good Samaritan. And yet, here we are, dozens of nonprofit organizations in the West and probably globally called Good Samaritan. we got Good Samaritan right here in Bismarck Society. We've got all these things that, that aim to do to be like the Good Samaritan because in part what we have done is we've taken this story and we've turned it into another checklist. We've said, okay, so this is what I'm supposed to do. This one, i got to do these things and we come with our checklists, right? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to love our neighbor. I'm not saying we shouldn't be merciful or stop and pick up people on the highway, right? Or what, I mean, to do what, what we're called to do. I'm not saying that. But it's about order. It's about the way we do things. Like, we have the Myrie Mill Tuesday. There's a family that's got some help, would love to have some help moving. Uh, today, you can talk to me or Jim if, if you'd... Uh, like to pick up some stuff we'll get you on a text chain so you know what time and where um, those are great things that we should do right but why see i think we're i think luke right we're going to cooperate with the writer this story only occurs in the book of luke the only place you'll read good Samaritan, in the book of luke and the story that follows it only occurs in the book of luke now here's what i think i think luke knew that we were going to read the Good Samaritan, we were going to read, you go and do likewise, and we were going to say, okay, I will. Let me update my list. And I think what he wants us to see is, no, 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 that's not the point. This, this text is not telling us to go and do likewise. This text is telling us you cannot justify yourself. You will not get it right. No matter how many people you care for, the poor will always be with you. There's not enough money, there's not enough time, there's not enough energy to solve all the social problems we have. We can tackle them. You're not going to get it done. And we might read that and go, okay, I got this. 
But look at how it goes on. Luke did this on purpose. Luke knew we were going to read that. He knew it was in the human heart. He knew we were going to say, okay, let me do it. So he tells us this story. Another familiar story. I'm going to read a little bit, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve you? Do you hear that? She just questioned the integrity of the Lord of the universe. Do you not care? Tell her to help me. Not only is she questioning, but she's giving him orders. And the Lord answered her tenderly. Listen, Martha, Martha. That's a, that's a tender way to address Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I think, I think Luke places that story there because he wants us to see that it's not about doing. It's not about serving. You might read the Good Samaritan and think it's about doing, and he says, no, it's about coming to the feet of Jesus and saying, I am a person deeply in need of grace. Help me. I want to experience eternal life not just in the future but i want to taste that i want to i want to know meaning i want to know purpose i want to know joy i want to know fulfillment how do i do that you sit at the feet of jesus you come to the one who says come to me all who are weary heavy laden i will give you rest and yet we're so busy out there running around, proving ourselves, getting for ourselves. How, I'm not going to ask a show of hands, but I'm betting you if I were to ask, half of us would raise our hands or more. How many of us are out there so busy getting, earning, proving, and man, we're miserable. We're not happy. We can't rest. Because there's always something more to get, to prove, to earn, to enjoy, to experience. You're not going to do it, man. The others of us, maybe we're Marthas, maybe we're lawyers, right? We're coming with our checklists. Jesus, am I good enough now? Come on, how am I doing? How's this? Is this better? And we want to prove ourselves. Now, some of us, and I know this, some of us are Marthas. And we're like, don't say that. Nobody will do anything. Right? Like Mar that's what Martha says, right? She's freaking out because her sister won't do anything. And here's what I believe from the bottom of my heart. And, and, there are, and that's, let's be honest. There are those of us here that aren't doing anything. Okay? There are. Some of us here come once a year. There's some of us here... Come every Sunday, and boy, you're out of the door as quick as you can. There's some of us here that don't do it. I'm not going to lie. We all know this, right? Let's be honest. If that's true of you, it's not because your list needs updated. I'll tell you what it is. It's because you've never really 
experience the embrace of the Lord Jesus Christ who you come to empty and weak and helpless and you say, I am a person deeply in need of grace and he says, it's okay, come here. And when you experience that, when a person experiences that, you don't have to worry that they're not going to do. You have no choice. When you come to Jesus and he takes your burden away (laughs) and you experience that moment, Everything else will sort itself out. That's what all of us need. In fact, there are, there are those of us, and I know this is true, who you know, have been walking with Jesus faithfully 50, 60, 70 years in the room, and, and you're like, okay, tell me what to do. I just did. Come to Jesus. That's not a one-time thing. It's not something you do and you've done it. No, 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 no. Come to Jesus daily and you say, I am a person in need of grace. The moment that you come to Jesus, you say, I'm a good person. You need to be very careful. Every day we come to him. I am a person deeply in need of grace. And every day we hear him say, I know it. (laughs) And I got you. And we can breathe and we can get up and we can do not because we've got our checklist, but because we're free. I'm going to invite us to come. Uh, the elders, can separ- we've got four tables. We are going to come this morning and, and experience that embrace. That is a part of what this meal is. Um, this, this meal that Jesus gives us is an opportunity for us to come. Now, there's a lot of language in the New Testament that says it's a warning. If you don't believe, you don't hope in Christ, don't come. Don't The language Paul uses is eat and drink judgment on yourself by eating and drinking in an inappropriate way. Don't do that, he says. But <laughs> for those that know our brokenness, those who come and say, I am a person deeply in need of grace, then the body of Christ is broken for you, for me and for the church. It is broken for those of us who come knowing we are a person deeply in need of grace. And then his blood. The blood of Christ (laughs) given so that we might experience eternal life. Not just then. But now, if you want to taste, if you want to experience, if you want to have fulfillment, if you want to have joy, if you want to see, see meaning in life, I promise you it's not out there. It's in this bread and it is in this cup that we experience those things from the one who restores us and makes all things new. I'm going to pray for us, then I'll invite you to go to one of these four tables Get the elements and let's hold them um, and then we'll eat and drink together uh, as the people of God after everyone's been served and we'll play some music or something. Feel free to mill, talk a little bit and and then make our way back to our seats and, and we will eat and drink together after everybody's got them. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us to feel your embrace, to know that we are coming to you as people 
deeply in need of grace and that in the midst of that, you are welcoming us, you are accepting us, you are loving us, and then you are changing us. And that's what I ask above all, that you would change us in this moment. It's in your name. Amen. Feel free to, and there's gluten-free right here. <laughs>